You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and usually my mate, Arthur Parkinson. But Arthur is a self-confessed non-foodie, and this week I'm going to talk about herbs. So I'm skipping Arthur, and instead I'm joined by an old friend of mine, Mitch Tonks, who is the most fabulous fish chef and uses tons and tons and tons of herbs. And so I thought he'd be a great person to have on the podcast and give us a sort of a different way of thinking about herbs rather than just using vegetarian food, but actually as an accompaniment to fish. Welcome, Mitch. It's it's lovely to have you on the podcast. And I just want to explain quickly how we met. Well, I mean, I'd known you a little bit through your wonderful restaurant chain called Fishworks. And I asked you to come along and take us round Billingsgate Market really early one morning. And I used to take groups to the flower market with me. And then we would go on to the veg market with Greg Wallace. And then we would go on to the fish market with you because there were, sort of, in theory, three people with an insider view. But unfortunately, this was actually before he was so famous, <laughs> Greg Wallace failed to get out of bed. So you then not only did the fish, but also helped me out massively because you took us around the veg market, which you knew because of, of working at Fishworks and running and owning Fishworks. So yes, really welcome, Mitch, for that, you know, thank you for then and thank you for being here today. It's a pleasure. That's really, really nice to talk to you again. So will you tell everybody listening a little bit about your background and how you came to fish and what you're doing now, which is how I've got back in touch with you through Rockfish, but we'll come on to that. So tell us first of all about Fishworks. I'll give you a, a potted history. I, I live. I grew up in a place called Western Supermare, and uh, as a boy, I'd always be out fishing in the reens, fishing off the beaches, you know, netting for small inshore fish like dabs and things like that. It was, it was fascinating. Mm. And I got into a career of uh, accountancy, and uh, but really, I was uh, I was always really interested in fish. And it was Henrietta Green's book, Food Lover's Guide to Britain, I think it was sort of mm. 1995 or something before. And I was just reading about all these incredible producers and I, I wanted to be part of it. So I always thought fish was done badly in England. Fishmonger shops were always just these sort of, you know, pretty smelly places with a guy with a white jacket and just some, you know, uh, white fish and very yeah. different from the fishmongers I remember as a boy and ones that I'd seen in, in, in Europe. Yeah. So I decided to give it a go and, um, and open a fishmonger shop in the centre of Bath. It's phenomenal. And it was, you know, we had whole tunas and, you know, obviously lots of local seafood, fresh wild salmon. I mean, it was really brilliant. And it was, it was a lot of people, you know, not sure of what to do with seafood. So I decided that I would open a restaurant upstairs and teach myself to cook using Elizabeth David recipes, Jane Grigson recipes, just incredibly simple things. And, and I realized that a red mullet with a piece of rosemary could be just the most mass, magnificent experience. It didn't need to be anything so fancy. And so, you know, that grew into 13 restaurants in London. But my, my real desire was just, just to do fish better. And that was really my, my sort of first uh, foray into restaurants, really. Can I butt in there? Because you probably won't remember, but um, you, I mean, you will remember this. You used to come and, and do cooking courses at Perch Hill. And um, 
I remember so well you teaching me something that's completely ingrained in how I cook now, which is brown the fish. If you just get a really beautiful bit of fish, just brown it on the top, maybe on a griddle or really hot, heavy frying pan, not necessarily with much fat at all. And so really, and it's got to be, you, you taught me to put my hand above a pan and count to 10. And if it was uncomfortable at 10, the pan was hot enough. Whereas if you put the pan on and put the fish or the meat or whatever it was straight on at the same time, it stuck completely because that's what I'd always had a problem with fish skin is that it would stick because they'd heated up together and they sort of merge. Whereas if you put a very cold fish onto a searing hot pan, they jump apart and they, you never get that really annoying thing where you want it to look beautiful, but actually you've left half, half the fish in the pan and then you put it in the oven. So you already have the oven on hot. And that is how I've cooked fish pretty much ever since. And it was you who taught me that. So I'm very grateful. Ah, but it's great, sir. Cause I mean, that whole thing about ovens is really, really interesting because, um, you know, you know, I use pans with a metal handle, and I just put the whole pan in the in, in the oven. Yeah, and I find it really easy. And every time I used to teach people, they they they, they would, I don't know, a tendency for people just to like prod fish when it's in a pan yes. and not just not just leave it alone. But um, I'm glad it's stuck with you. But that is your that is your friend. The oven is your friend when it comes to cooking fish for sure. And it's much much harder to ruin fish than meat, isn't it? I mean, that's that's again, I think another thing you taught me is actually. Fish is pretty forgiving. I mean, obviously, if you really overcook it, it, it's not so good. But actually, it's it's quite a forgiving thing. Now, you've to really cook got well. to go some to overcook it. You've got to really neglect it. But I think if you, you know, one of my favourite ways of cooking fish is in a bag. So a piece of foil and a piece of yeah. parchment paper, one on top of the other. Yeah. You know, you're fishing there, and any amount of fresh herbs and tomatoes and wine and a splash of vinegar, all of those things, uh, and in the oven, it's sort of you know once you folded it up, I. And, and sort of steamed it. I find it really difficult that anybody can get that wrong. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eight to 10 minutes, maximum heat. Fish likes maximum heat. It doesn't like to be, you know, poached in, in, in low heat. It goes, it's awful. You need to kind of really, really zap it you know, in the oven. But yeah, it's such a, an easy thing to cut. It's, it's intuitive to me now, I think. So then from Fishworks, so that was what, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So what's gone on in between? Well, Fishworks came to an end in the sense that um, we became a public company mm. and uh, and I really just sort of wasn't cooking anymore. I wasn't doing anything. I was just really working with investors and, you know, it just didn't work well for me. So I left and uh, and then the company was eventually uh, sold. And I'd always had this uh, idea that, you know, get down by the seaside and open a, a kind of wonderful seafood restaurant, cooking over an open fire, making fresh pastas, that sort of thing, very sort of Mediterranean restaurants. And so Matt and I opened a place called The Seahorse in uh, in Dartmouth. And it still is there as the most wonderful restaurant. So Matt is my great friend. And uh, he was one of the first chefs that I employed into Fishworks. He became head chef in our Bristol restaurant. Mm. And then during the growth of Fishworks, he was by my side as the sort of, you know, the operations guy uh, working in the business with me. And uh, we'd always loved cooking together and spending time together. And we, we ended up in the kitchen at the Seahorse together, which was, um, which was brilliant. And we had six or seven years cooking together. It was just a joy. And we had a guy working this called Jake. And Jake was uh, an apprentice from college. And uh, Jake is now the sort of chef director of the restaurant. And uh, working under him, my son is the head chef. And his partner, Bronte, is a general manager. So we're delighted that restaurant has gone on to, to become a sort of family restaurant. And, and they're putting their own stamp on it. And at the same time, I still had this hankering after, you know, wanting to uh, introduce the British public to great seafood and realizing that the seahorse is very top end. You know, mm. it's expensive. We 
we use all sorts of strange and wonderful creatures, but actually there was still nothing mainstream out there in casual dining. So we opened a restaurant called Rockfish in Dartmouth also. And the idea was it was mainly just fried fish. And gradually over the years, we've learned that actually we, we, we put big grills in and we do a lot of grilled fish. And we grew that now um, Rockfish's nine restaurants uh, all the way along mm-hmm. the south coast, um, all overlooking the, the bay, all overlooking the waters. And um, I kind of never lost my love of wanting to do fish really, really well, wanting to kind of, you know, wanting people to get access to really great seafood. So we invested in a fishing boat. We started a business two years ago, not only buying fish for our own restaurants and supplying ourselves, but I just thought, you know, in today's world, a fishmonger is very different from it used to be. I mean, it feels mad to buy fresh seafood on spec and sit on a counter until somebody buys it and, and, and ultimately gets wasted in big stores. So we set up this um, uh, business, Rockfish Seafood at Home, where we buy fish off the boats on, on the auction every morning. We portion it and we put it online in our online fishmonger and we send it to people's homes in, you know, already in recycled packaging. I mean, it's really state of the art stuff, but also a whole lot of recipes, butters, sauces, just really to try and make fish easy for people. And uh, we've done it in a way where we've eliminated all of the spells, the preparation, all the things that people worry about cooking seafood at home. This takes away those problems. So I've been really passionate about getting that right, as well as, you know, we've got three new restaurants opening. So it's it's exciting. We've employed wow. 400 people now, which is which is really amazing. And it's, it's a real life lesson, actually, because, you know, Fishworks was a, a great business, but it I'm not sure the focus in the end was 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 totally on being great restaurants. It was more about right. making money and building Rockfish has been about actually doing something brilliant. You know, trying to leave legacies, trying to trying to put you know seafood restaurants in our small coastal communities, and I've really enjoyed doing that. It's been brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can absolutely vouch for the Rockfish product. I I just adore it. I mean, you you go online. I go first thing in the morning. I'm always up early and um, you can just order it and it arrives the next day and you just know exactly as you said, it hasn't been sitting around. It's just super, super fresh. So I quite often do an order to arrive on a Friday and then I know even by Sunday or even possibly Monday, it's going to be fresher than probably, you know, anything I could have bought in a supermarket or whatever. And uh, I find that and it's just, it's an incredible service. I love it. And the absolutely thick wood packaging so often it arrives and it's still frozen some of the frozen stuff and one of the things I've got really addicted to as a new family favorite from Rockfish is your kedgeree butter I I love a kedgeree with some smoked fish and you know whether it's smoked pollock or smoked haddock or whatever you know but again whatever there's plenty of and is sustainable etc you can order and then I just chuck it in and and in goes the I, I cook the fish in a bag. It takes about five minutes, 10 minutes, and boil a few eggs from our hens, go out into the garden and get some parsley. And then right at the end with the rice, I just add in your delicious kedgeree butter and it's got all the spices and everything all in it. So it, it is honestly, it's like, it's as easy as cooking fish fingers, I promise you. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a delicious one. It's a really, really good one. It's such a, such a good one. I mean, there are lots of others, but I guess now maybe we should talk a little bit about herbs and because this is a gardening, not a fish podcast. So what, what are you using a lot of in the restaurants and in your own home cooking at the moment, Mitch? So I, I, I really love soft herbs with seafood. I think that, you know, they're, they're really wonderful in mayonnaise, dressings, those kind of things. So tarragon, mint, mm. dill, 
basil, uh, really, truly wonderful. And then sort of slightly harder herbs like um, oregano and um, savory is a herb that I've really, really grown to love mm. and, and thyme that I use for when I'm grilling fish. So I always sort of, you know, think about grilled fish needs hard herbs and, and, and you know, uh, for sauces, soft herbs. And I try and use as many herbs as I can. I, I think the combination of basil and mint together is really good. I think dill and mint is really, really good. You know, making a salsa verde where you've got parsley in there as well, perhaps a bit of coriander, which is not traditional, but I like that kind of citrus zing mm. that you get from it. Mm. Yeah, it's really, really delicious. It really kind of lifts something. So, I mean, I mean, oddly, I don't grow herbs. I'm, I'm a terrible grower. Right. And uh, I need to need, need some real, real lessons on it. I sort of have mixed successes. So herbs are actually quite difficult. You know, you end up using supermarket herbs and they're just not the same. And I think that when you can get hold of restaurant quality or growing yourself, it really transforms your cooking. It really does. It really does. Definitely. Well, I'll, I'll finish with a few herb tips because I'm not going to accept that you can't grow herbs because they're very easy, but we'll come to them at the end. Uh, so will you give us, I don't know, a couple of, I'll, I'll put the, um, my very home, very simple Kedri recipe up on the podcast notes, but will you chat us through a couple of recipes, Mitch, that you're making at the moment? Yeah, so one of my favourites always this time of year is, um, uh, I mean, plenty of sea bass around. So either a, either a whole roasted sea bass or, or a fillet of sea bass. And I make um, uh, what we call salsa primavera, which is really um, a very coarse chopped salsa verde. So I use cucumber diced. I use green oh. peppers diced. I use green olives. Uh, I, and I use capers. And then I, then I shred some green beans that go in there and then I sort of add olive oil, lemon, and then I'm into mint, tarragon, basil, um, parsley, all those kind of soft herbs amongst it. So you, so it's almost like a little salad really, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crunchy one, but I, I mix artichokes with it. So I think baby artichokes this time of year, violet artichokes just cooked in wine, olive oil, and uh, a little water, uh, maybe some chili or anchovy in, in there as well as the water cooks down. And then, you know, when they yeah. go cold, you can, you can cut them and then, then toss them with the salsa primavera and, uh, and have them alongside a piece of any fish is just delicious, you know, spoon down the back of a grilled sole or just on the side of, um, you know, a, a piece of sea bass is one of my absolute favorites that I thoroughly enjoy. And one of my other interesting things like monkfish, very, very firm fish, which cook really well over a fire. What I do is to make incisions into the monkfish and I put savory, chili, uh, maybe an anchovy in there, or rub it with olive oil and just give it a very light sprinkling of um, breadcrumb. And then I put it on the grill. You know, I, I like the grill quite hot. You know, you want you want a good bit of smoke. Mm. You want to sort of sear the fish. And then what I do is I, I when, when I when I turn the monkfish, I add a bit more savory. And then I put uh, a casserole dish upside down on the over the fish and, and then oh. stoke the, the fire with a, with a few more sprigs of rosemary or something like that. Again, another hard herb. Um, you, what happens is that smoke just wafts up underneath the um, uh, upturned dish and you get this sort of slightly herby, smoky flavour imparting. And, and and the fish sort of cooks in an oven then. So, I mean, it's a really lovely way of, um, of, of, yes. of monkfish or, or a fillet cooking really, really well. Could you do mackerel like that, do you reckon? Yeah, you could do mackerel like it, you know, lobster like it, you know, grilling lobster that way. And um, and it's, it's really good because, you know, as, as I say, you get all that smoke going underneath it. You don't want it too smoky because it can be a bit of a blunt instrument, but that lovely fragrance mm. of, um, of, of herbs are re really, really good. And then I'm a big fan of raw fish. So red mullet is one of my, my favorite fish. And, you know, there's, there's little bits of it coming in now, which is good. There's some lovely small mullets on the market this morning. But what I do is I, I, I sort of cure the mullet really in, in um, one third salt, one third sugar, 
and one third mm-hmm. any liquid, so white wine or, or, or something like that. You mix them together and just pull it over the fish and leave the fish for maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. And what, all you're looking for is the fish to just slightly firm. And, yeah. uh, and then you, you wash it off and you dry the fish and then you, you, you slice it and dress it with olive oil. But in this particular mm-hmm. uh, crudo dish I like, I make um, toss it with maybe sliced fennel, fresh basil, Marinda tomatoes, you know, tomatoes that have got a very kind of thick wall that are quite fleshy. You don't really want too yes. many watery tomatoes or, I mean, you, you could use really small sweet cherries in this. And you, and you toss the fennel, the basil, uh, the red mullet together, olive oil and lemon juice and leave it for four or five minutes to let the marination kind of happen. Lift it out, put it onto a plate. And then to give it a sort of real saltiness and another texture, I fry off a little bit of garlic and some anchovies in, in olive oil. And then throw in some coarse breadcrumbs and just swirl them around until they start to become, you know, they'll fry gently and they'll be crispy and they'll be tasting of anchovy. And then what I do is I take those and just sprinkle them over the top of the of the crudo. So you've got this, wow. this wonderful soft flesh fish. You've got texture in there. You've got salty anchovy. You've got tomato and anchovy, which, of course, you know, made for each other. And, uh, and red mullet and anchovy also made for each other. So it works, works really, really well. It's a, it's a delicious dish. And at the Seahorse, we make anchoard, which is a, um, and we, do, we actually sell it in Rockfish now, which is um, a sort of mayonnaise-based sauce made from salted anchovies, capers, red wine vinegar. It's utterly delicious. And a little bit of that on the side of your red mullet crudo is, is quite, quite something. They're such lovely, uh, simple recipes. I really, I'm going to make all of those. And they are in your Rockfish cookbook, aren't they, which came out at the end of lockdown. But we will also put all the recipes in the podcast notes, as I said. So you can all be making them throughout August. And then just sort of a bit more on the herb side. So you said that you found herbs tricky. But one of the things I wanted to ask you is you're using lots of savoury. Are you using the one called summer savoury or winter savoury? So is it sort of really woody or the softer one? It's woody, and uh, so okay. I like, which I believe is the winter one. Yeah, and um, exactly. we, you know, I, 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 the fragrance of it is just so wonderful on, you know, yeah. on outdoors. And uh, when you see it anywhere near anything being grilled, I just think it's glorious. And also for making vinegar. So I'll take red wine vinegar or, you know, homemade vinegar and, and stuff savory branches into bottles. And, you, and you, you get a really wonderful light red wine, savory vinegar, which again, just spooned over some grilled fish with some olive oil is something really, truly magnificent. And uh, which is good. All those hard herbs in rosemary are really good. And also, um, have you tried our tinned fish, Sarah? No. The British tinned fish. So one of my lockdown projects was a couple of years ago, I've, I've always wanted to can British seafood. And so I found a canner that I could work with in Spain um, because the, the, the art of canning is not something that's on every street corner in, in Britain. It really is no. a, a wonderfully artisanal project. It's phenomenal. And uh, this factory was just... Um, run by about 40 or 50 ladies on the floor that just prepare the fish by hand and uh, and can them by hand so sardines mussels from lime bay mackerel from here cuttlefish from here it's been really fascinating project but tin fish with tossed you know if you drain some sardines and break them up and toss them with red onion and any number of herbs you can have some really truly magnificent to, to to heap onto a lovely bit of sourdough or thick thick bread. So, tin fish and herbs, I think, are just a, a wonderful thing. And the oil in your tin fish, great for making mayonnaise. So, you know, you get you get that lovely flavour into your mayonnaise. It goes alongside it. So, all sorts of things we can do with seafood and herbs. Eh? It's such a shame to um, begin to wind up because every time you open your mouth, there's more things that I want to um, to make from from what you're suggesting, but. Um, 
I think I should just finish with a couple of herb tips. So now is actually a really, really good time to sow flat leaf parsley. And it's one of the easiest herbs to grow in the world. And if you sow it now, you'll be picking it until next April or even May. And there's one tip with parsley, which is it has a germinator inhibitor in the seed coat. And so that really slows down the germination. So what I always do is I leave it soaking overnight in a little bit of water, like in an egg cup or something. And then I dry it off in the morning on kitchen paper and leave it to dry properly because it's much easier to sew, of course, when it's properly dry. And then I individually sew those into a window box or whatever, or a pot on the doorstep. And that will then germinate in, in to be of pickable size in about six weeks. And then, as I say, you're going to be going on picking that right the way through the winter because it's completely winter hardy. And now is a good time. End of July into August is a really good time to start thinking about your winter herbs. And exactly as you've said, Mitch, um, winter savoury is such a cracker because, again, totally hardy. Well, actually, it needs a shelter dish spot, but it, it, you can then go on picking it through the winter. And rosemary, of course. Uh, whereas I find sage and thyme um, falter a bit in the winter and I actually can't keep on picking them quite so much. And then a final one for kind of more instant summer taste is, of course, basil. And I'm just going to finish with four or five tips for how to grow fabulous basil. The first is go for sweet Genovese, which is the loveliest in terms of that aromatic warm taste. The second is you want to sow it now is a really good time because basil hates cold nights. So we've still got another sort of six weeks or so of decent sort of warm weather even into the night. So you'll get a good harvest from it. And a really good tip is if you're happy to have supper in your garden, basil is happy to be out in your garden. And so we've still got that. So get on with it. And it's quick to germinate. So it's worth doing. And then never send basil to bed wet because it tends to get mould. So water it in the morning, not the evening, and it lights quite a bit of water. And the final thing is how to pick it, which is literally, I think of it like giving it a haircut. And I, I hold a stem and particularly if it's got flowers on it, you want to cut that off. But I don't just cut willy nilly. I always cut above a pair of leaves. And that's removing the leader, removing apical dominance. And you then get auxiliary buds forming below it. And that will then grow off really well. Whereas if you just do a random hacking, quite often you'll find at this time of year, it will start to die back and it will get mould and it might even go black. So I think, you know, a few a few things that are really easy, one for kind of now and one to keep on picking right the way through from September until next April. So basil, sweet Genovese and flat leaf parsley, giant of Napoli. Any parting tips that you can give us, Mitch? No, but I was um, fascinated about basil because it's the one thing I can never grow. Right. And uh, have all the herbs, so I'm 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 going to I'm, I'm going to make it a thing. I'm going to grow some. I'm going to plant some, and uh, and get on it, which is great. But no, no other tips. Just only with seafood. Just keep it simple. I think um, fresh zingy herbs and, uh, and 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 fresh seafood are a perfect foil for each other. And I'm going to send you a packet of basil and a packet of parsley so that you can get going. You've got no excuse. <laughs> They'll be in the post tonight. <laughs> I'll be posting pictures, Sarah. Thank you very yep. much. It's been really nice to chat to you again. Lovely to talk to you and hope to see you soon. Thanks so much, Mitch. Thanks so much for listening to Grow Cookie to Range. And next week, Arthur's back and I'm going to be chatting with him about something dear to his heart, which is really 
cheap, simple, easy ideas for summer scatter plants. So you may think summer's over, it isn't. There are still some things you can sow that you can then enjoy all the way through autumn, even into winter, whether it's for your pots or for your borders. So that's what we're chatting about next week. See you then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.